Hey there, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow Weston, uh, the host of this podcast and the founder and director of Collide. And I am so excited to hang out with you today. I just had an amazing conversation with Karen Eman. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a Proverbs 31 ministry speaker, and a contributing writer for Encouragement for Today online devotions, and a teacher in the First Five Bible Study app. There's so many things that this woman has done in her life. And we had an amazing conversation about all sorts of topics that she writes about in the 18 books that she's authored. And so I would love to hand you this interview, and I trust that God will meet you in the midst of it. Karen, it's so fun to be with you today. There's so many things I want to ask you about. You're a mom of five adult children, three biological and two in-laws by marriage. You're a lover of coconut and dark chocolate. You like sharpened number two pencils, which is hilarious, whimsical note cards, and any kind of post-it note. You collect retro Pyrex, and you're a diehard fan of the Detroit Tiger baseball team. I love that you know yourself so well, and (laughs) I thought it'd be fun to start with. What's one new fun fact you're just now realizing about yourself? Hmm. Let's see. Probably that sometimes when I open my mouth, my mother comes out. (laughs) I'm, I'm so much more like her. Like she and I are completely different personalities. Um, she, she passed away recently, but she was known as a very quiet, shy, reserved, in the corner, don't draw attention to herself kind of person. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, you know, the one with the lampshade on my head yakking all the time. But the older I get, the more I am like her. And I don't know what it was that I did the other day, but my husband just said, okay, Margaret. And that was her name. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're just like your mom. And I'm like her in the way I deal with people, um, the way I deal with my house and things. As I get older, I, I guess I always thought I'm just so not like her, but more and more, I guess maybe with age, I'm, I'm becoming more and more like her, but I, it's, it's okay. I like it. And I'm grandma now. So maybe it's because, you know, she was always grandma and now right. I'm grandma. So maybe I'm just moving into the grandma role. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's really sweet. You've written 18 books. And when I hear that, I just think, wow, that is a huge feat. When did you first recognize there was a writer in you? I have always loved to talk. And to me, writing is just talking on paper. And ever since I was little, that's what people commented on about me. I remember being at a family gathering when I was really young, like second grade, and my uncle looking at my mom and saying, you know, my, my cousins and I were all playing around on the floor of my grandma's house. And he looked at my mom and he said, does she ever stop talking? Like she just talks so much. And I got in trouble for talking in school. That's what my mom would get told by the the teachers at the parent teacher conferences. But I also always really liked English. I didn't mind it when they would assign us to write, you know, a whole two page paper and all my classmates are going, Oh no. And I'm like, man, I wish it could be like four. This is fun. So I think combining talking and writing, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be an author my whole life. Now I thought I would write fiction, which I haven't written yet. I've kind of been thinking about it, but 
I think to me, it's, it's talking on paper and it's just something I find enjoyable. Now, don't make me do math. I don't find that enjoyable. <laughs> but to me, English was fun. That's so cool. I love that even though in some ways in class or your uncle saying, does she ever stop talking? You actually sort of channeled that that gift that you have into something positive, you didn't see it as something negative. I think sometimes we have gifts and we're told somehow that it's too much. And so we hold back and we make ourselves small and we don't use that gift, but you didn't do that. Yeah. And actually that's what my husband said first attracted him to me was the way I could talk. He's, he's more like my mom, he's more reserved and laid back and quiet. And he said, I would just watch you at college and I would think, man, she can talk to anybody. She'll talk to the college president and then she'll talk to the the kid bagging groceries at the grocery store and you mm-hmm. he he said you always have a way of including the shy ones and you know making people feel comfortable and he loved that about me but you know about 3 days into our honeymoon he wondered if I was ever going to stop talking to <laughs> you know because any strength carried to an extreme can become a weakness because I can easily over dominate conversations but he made a joke that if I pass away before he does, he's already decided what he's going to put on my tombstone. Are you ready for it? I'm a ready. Period. A period. She's finally done talking. <laughs> it's just going to be, it's, it is finished. She's done. Hmm. That's so funny. That's cute. Um, you wrote a book called Make Their Day, and it's 101 Simple Powerful Ways to Love Others Well. What inspired you to write that book? Well, I was talking about my mom being a different personality than me, um, but yet I, I saw her live in a certain way that I wanted to emulate. And to tell you about that, I have to tell just a, a quick little story of when I was in the sixth grade, came home from school. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think I didn't get invited to a slumber party. And I was sitting at the dining room table, all depressed, venting to my mom. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, you know what, honey, whenever... Life's got you down. Circumstances aren't going your way. You need to remember this. There's always someone out there who has life worse off than you. So here's what you do. You go find that person and you do something to make their day. And in a strange way, it ends up making yours as well. She used to say, you know, get your eyes off yourself, honey. Get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes off of those people who seem to have life better than you. And I was doing that in the sixth grade. I was jealous of the girls that got invited to the slumber parties or whatever. And we do that now with social media. You know, we mm-hmm. see people who have life better off than us and we feel less than by comparison. But if we can adopt a mindset that is always on the lookout for somebody who needs to be cheered or encouraged to do something to make their day, it makes life an adventure. And so I try to live that way ever since the sixth grade. And I had a whole binder full of just ideas to do for people to make their day. And my publisher said, would you ever think about turning those ideas into like a little handbook. And so um, the book has 101 ideas to do for people, to cheer them up, encourage them, surprise them, all sorts of things. It was really fun to write. It's one of my favorite books that I've written. I love that so much. I used to be in college ministry years ago, and we would take these service trips for a week long. We'd take college students on spring break, and we'd go serve like inner city homeless people and women who are being sex trafficked. And It was mind-blowing how that sort of higher purpose of beginning to hear other people's stories, enter into their life, care for them, serve them, just completely shifts your perspective. And it's not a thing that we have to go do for a week. 
we can do it every single day in our life where we sort of get outside of ourselves a little bit and realize there's like a whole world out there. So I love that you wrote this book with these simple ways to serve other people. What are a few examples so that people know kind of what they'd be getting if they grabbed hold of this book? Well, I think the the best thing would just to tell you the different categories. There's things to do for friends, for family, for people that I call necessary people. They're necessary for our lives. They make our high maintenance lattes at the coffee house, or they school our children. They cut our hair. There's a whole bunch of ideas for things to do for those people that serve us all year long. There's also things to do long distance for people that you want to encourage, but you don't live by them. There's things to do for those who are hurting or grieving. Um, Also things to do at specific times of year, like different holidays and stuff, things that you can do maybe for even strangers. And then there's a lot of information on ways to use your home as a way to make someone's day and some hospitality ideas as well. Hmm. I think that's so cool. A lot of times I hear women, they see a need, you know, they see a family in grief and they feel a little paralyzed by what do I do? I'm not sure what to do. I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. And so it feels like you're giving them sort of like, let's take away the excuses. Here's some simple things that they can engage, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it it really helps to have something tangible because I think so often at those times of grief and sorrow, you know, someone's been in an accident or they've, you know, lost somebody or maybe, you know, they're just, you know, went through a breakup of an engagement or whatever. The, The worst thing that we can say, but we think we're doing, saying the best thing is, let me know if there's anything you need. They're not going to let you know if there's anything. They're too too wrapped up in their sorrow and their feelings to really articulate what it is they need. You need to notice what it is that they need and just do it. Just show up and do Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned just losing your mom. So I'm sure you just went through this. I just lost my mom last year as well. And people do say that they say, you know, let me know what you need. Like you're going to pick up the phone in the middle of this sort of cloud of grief. I, I, the only way I could explain it was I felt like there was just this like fog of yes. grief where I couldn't get my head out from underneath it. And when people are like, let me know if you need anything. You're like, not going to pick up the phone and let them know what you need. You know, you need that people are like, I'm here right now. What can I do for you in this moment? I'm standing here. Can I, like, I want to do your dishes. I want to mow your lawn. Here's a meal. Like I had girlfriends who literally just showed up with food, but I would have never called them and asked them to do that. You know, I had friends who packed up all my mom's belongings and who helped me plan her funeral. Like, you need people to show up and just say, I'm here to do for you, but not yes. call me, let me know what you need. Yes, yes, exactly. And, but we think, cause like, we really mean that, like, let me know what I'll do, whatever. But we, mm-hmm. we don't realize, like you just said, people with that. And I know, I know the cloud I've been in the cloud for four years. We, we moved to a, a new town to be closer to all four grandparents because they were getting up in age and I was having to take them to doctor's appointments and stuff. And three weeks after we moved, my dad died. And then all four of them died within less than three years. They were like all gone. And I remember that cloud. I mean, I still have the cloud sometimes, but you're exactly right. It's the people that just showed, I had one woman, she just showed up with all her cleaning supplies and said, uh, here and had a latte 
in her hand from the local coffee house. And she said, sit down, put your feet up, go take a nap, whatever you want to do. And when you're done with your coffee, I'm cleaning your house. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. She just like busted in my door and cleaned my whole house for me. I have had people make meals and show up. It's so sweet. Uh, a lot of my uh, kids' friends, they're millennials. I'm a, a Gen Xer. And uh, those millennials, man, they know how to have stuff delivered. Some of them who lived five <laughs> states away, they were having Whole Foods groceries brought to my house that had these little ready-made meals for my husband and I on a day I didn't feel like cooking and a bouquet of flowers and a candle. And and they showed up from long distance. And it's, it's really... Uh, the people that go the extra mile, like I have a couple friends that remembered the next year, the anniversary of my mom's death. She died on April Fool's Day. And so they said, we're taking, they didn't say, do you want to go? They said, we're taking you out. I'm going to cry to Panera Bread on April 1st, because that was my mom's favorite restaurant. She wasn't very fancy. She thought that was, you know, eating at a high-end restaurant for her. And she loved uh, their broccoli chicken or their cream of broccoli soup. Um, Barkley cheddar soup, I guess it's called. And so they just said, we're taking you to Panera. And they took me to the Panera that my mom and I always went to because we would go do our errands together every other Friday. And then we went to the cemetery and we took flowers and they remembered. Like it's it's so sad to me, but it's so true that um, I, I read the statistic. I won't get it exactly right. I remember where it came from. But in America, most people think you should be done grieving at three weeks. Like after three weeks, you've got stuff cleaned out of their house, you're on back to work, you're doing life, and they think you should be done with it. There are other cultures that allow people to grieve for an entire year. They'll wear black for an entire year so people know that person's in grief. Treat them differently, you know, handle them with care. And uh, yet I, I see how in our culture, people really show up at the beginning and then they kind of forget. And it's those people that go that extra mile and remember on the anniversary of their death or remember on what would have been their birthday. Well, a couple of the ideas I give in the book, I actually got from my mom, was to, when you get home from a funeral, take that that bulletin, that program that you have, and in your calendar digitally, or if you're old-fashioned paper kind of calendar, and that's how you roll, put down what would have been that the person that passed away, what would have been their birthday, and what would have been their anniversary. And then the next year, you know, I've done things like my my friend Debbie was super close to her father. They used to walk two miles together every year on his birthday. He was in his late 80s, but he still walked two miles a day. She would go do his walk with him on his birthday and she would take him a homemade carrot cake. Well, he died in November. And then I remember when it came around to April of the next year, I saw it would have been his birthday. So I showed up at her doorstep with my walking shoes on and a homemade carrot cake and said, want to go for a walk? And she just lost it. Like she just bawled. And she said, how did you know? Today would have been my dad's birthday. And I was like, because I wrote it down. Um, simple things like that. When you really go that extra mile and you remember even years. I mean, my mom's now been gone two years. My dad's been gone four. And I still, there's a group of friends that still send me flowers every year on the anniversary of my dad's death and on the anniversary of my mom's death. And they're like, we're thinking about you today. And it just, it means a lot because, you know, it's not over and done with in three weeks. You're not back to normal. You might plaster on the smile and act like you're back to normal, but you're not. And you know that because you've gone through it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you're talking about just this really simple thoughtfulness. I mean, the fact that you have friends who knew 
you hung out and did errands with your mom every other Friday and she loved Panera and she loved their broccoli cheddar soup. It was just like really simple details. Those are people who were paying attention to you in your life and making you feel so seen and understood. And I think we can all do that, but we have to stop having all these great intentions of the things that we want to do, but we never actually get around to doing them and actually just press pause and create a margin where we can take our, our thoughts and our intentions and actually turn them into action. You know, how many times have I thought, oh, I should go deliver, you know, my friend flowers who's going through cancer. And then it's like, oh, your to-do list, your kid stuff, whatever, it just topples all your, your ideas. I love that you're talking about actually doing them and being thoughtful about it. Yeah. And I think it it needs to just be something that you naturally work into your life. Um, my mom had this great knack for leaning in and listening between the lines. She, see, she wasn't talking so much like I was talking. She was a great listener. And she would lean in and listen. And um, I call it hearing a heart drop. Like she would hear somebody say something without saying it. Maybe they were saying that, their husband just had some testing done and they were going to find out the results next Thursday. Well, she would go home. Like she listened to them. They didn't say, and I'm really nervous and, and worried about it, but she could sense it. She was listening between the lines and she would go home and write in her calendar that next Thursday to call that person and say, Hey, you know, I've been praying for you. How, how are things? Did you hear about the results? And when we can learn to be intentional like that and be kind of on the lookout and listening between the lines, and maybe it's not even that someone is saying something without saying it. Another thing I've learned to do is just to pay attention to certain likes that people have. For example, I went to the coffee house with my friend Tammy once, and she has a even higher maintenance coffee order than I do. I think mine's high maintenance, but hers was like over the top, double cupped, extra foam, extra hot, one and a half pumps of this, one and a half pumps of that. Nothing that was on the menu. But I just felt like the Lord tapped me on the heart and said, write down her high maintenance coffee order. You know, keep track. Put it in your notes app on your phone. So I did. Mm-hmm. And we had gone out to, to coffee in the fall because it was cold. Well, it wasn't until the next September, like it was a hot kind of sunny end of summer day, that I realized that her only child had gone off to college the night before. I remember her saying what day she was taking him to college. And I knew it was going to be a hard day for her the first day that he was not staying in her house anymore. And that Mm -hmm. that school bus, you know, drove by reminding her he didn't live there anymore. And so I showed up at her front door with her high maintenance coffee order, my high maintenance coffee order (laughs) and a box of tissues. And I knocked on the door and she opened and I said, I thought you might use some, could use some company today, you know, can I come in? And she was like, how did you know I would be sad? And, and she said, oh, thank you so much. What did you bring me, a mocha? And I said, no, I brought you a, and I rattled off her high maintenance coffee order. And she just <laughs> said, how did you know? And I said, because silly, like, you know, nine months ago, when back in November, we went to the coffee house, I wrote it down. It's just thinking mm. about other people, recording those little things that they like or that they enjoy, you know, maybe somebody, one time I, I, uh, bought my friend, her very favorite childhood toy on eBay. Cause she had said how much she liked it. And so I stayed up late mm. at night and sniped and won it and gave it to her. And she's like, how did you know? She didn't even remember telling me the story, but just being not so focused on ourselves, but just, you know, praying it sounds silly, but I pray this every morning, Lord, help me to be a noticer. 
Show me that person who least expects to be seen, who's struggling, whether it's emotionally, financially, physically, whatever. Tap me on the heart when I'm supposed to do something for somebody and Mm -hmm. give me an idea. And he is faithful. He will answer that prayer. Hmm. It's amazing how profound the simple things can be. You're making me remember uh, my husband and I have been married almost 25 years. And the first Christmas of our marriage, we were on a mission trip to Haiti and we were going to get back at like midnight or one in the morning on Christmas. And I love Christmas. Like I love all the Jesus parts of Christmas, but I also love all the other stuff. Like I love the lights and the Christmas yeah. tree. And pre- I just love all of it, all the traditions. And so I was, I didn't express to anyone, but I was so sad that we missed that season. You know, we missed all the gatherings and the tree and all the stuff. There was no decorations in our house. Like, um, and so we're coming home and it was going to be kind of like a treeless, giftless, you know, Christmas. And we roll into town and drive up to our house. And I'll never forget this family, the Means family, on their own accord, just thought of us while we were gone. And they full on put like lights and a tree and there. We walked into our house and there was Christmas decorations. And I felt, I still feel emotional about that. Like it was such a, it was a simple thing to do. I mean, it took time and energy for sure, but it was just a simple thought like, oh, they're gone near Christmas. We could bless them. And I still think about that. That's one of the kindest, most thoughtful things anyone's ever done for us. I love that. I love that story. Yeah. See, they, they were listening. They were listening between the lines and they were on the, on the lookout for something to do. I love that example. Yeah. I, I think it's cool. You say, be a, you know, be a noticer. I think that's so great. As women, we have diverse stories, experiences, and backgrounds, but we all share the universal experience of pain. We all have baggage, grief, fear, insecurities, disappointment, and unmet dreams. At Collide, we aren't afraid of the mess and pain that life inevitably brings. In fact, we enter into pain because we are certain that God does too. The Counseling Bundle online course will meet you right where you are with practical tools to help you find healing and hope. This course features 12 sessions of video content from licensed mental health counselors, a registered dietitian, and a calling and career coach. With over seven hours of instruction that cover a wide range of topics, you'll receive expert advice from therapists who specialize in what you're working through. You'll also receive a printed workbook with space for taking notes, as well as helpful worksheets, guided reflection questions, and goal-setting tools to help you on your journey toward health and wholeness. A healthy life and spirituality is possible, and these sessions with therapists will help you take actual steps toward the life you desire. We believe that everyone deserves access to authentic healing and practical resources, which is why we're offering all of this for just $99, the price of what one therapy session would normally cost. Don't wait any longer to take that first step toward your healing journey. Check out our counseling bundle today. Visit our website at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle to learn more and enroll now. Our link is in the show notes. 
You also wrote a book called When Making Others Happy Makes You Miserable. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Because on one level, you have this book over here that's like, think of others and serve them. And then you talk over here about when you're trying to make people happy and it makes you feel miserable. What's going on when that happens? Yes. Yeah, so I, I mentioned a couple minutes ago when we were talking about me being such a yacker, that any strength carried to an extreme can become a weakness. And I think that people who naturally gravitate toward being somebody that likes to cheer others up and likes to do for others and loves to help, we can cross the line and we can be guilty of over-serving, of over-helping, of doing things not because we feel like, you know, Jesus would have me do this, but because we want to be liked, we want to be noticed. We want to be important. And so there's a fine line between living a life that is loving and serving other people and then doing it for or doing it for the wrong motive. So if we're doing it because we feel like this is an area where I have time and giftedness and an idea and I feel like God would want me to do it, that's great. But if we're doing things for other people just because we want them to like us or we're afraid of their reaction, then we've kind of crossed the line. And I find that a lot of people have a hard time drawing a line between those things, especially church ladies. Like, you know, we're, we, we love Jesus. We're the Jesus gals, right? And so we're just supposed to say yes to everything. And it really comes down to, and I, I talk about in that book, the difference between the fear of man and the fear of God and knowing the difference between those two things and knowing that you really need to watch your motives and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I want that person to like me? Because I'm afraid of what that person will say about me if I don't do it, because I'm afraid of disappointing them. I actually talk about the different people in our life that tempt us to people, please. You know, we have the, the people that are, um, you know, we're afraid of them a little bit because they are pushers. They're kind of, they push us to do things and they get angry when we don't. But then sometimes you have the powders, the people that you're not afraid they're going to stop their foot and get mad. You're afraid they're going to drop their smile and be sad. So you kind of people please them. And we have just all these, these different types of people in our lives that tempt us to do things because they want us to, not because we feel like we're called to. And it just really walks people through the difference between those two things. That's really interesting. How do you help women sort of get to the bottom of their motivations so they know, oh, okay, I'm doing this because I'm trying to make this person happy, or I'm doing this because I feel insecure in this circle and I'm trying to um, somehow show I contribute or bring value. I mean, how do you help women discover sort of the motivations so that when they do do things, they're doing it for the right motivation doesn't make them feel miserable? Yeah, it really does come down to motivation. So one thing that I try to tell people to do, and a lot of them have said it's been very effective, is when you're being asked by somebody to do something and you wonder, am I just doing this to people, please? Switch up the scenario. Like, let's say, you know, you and I just met each other, Willow, and I think you're amazing and you're this podcaster and I want to, you know, have you like me. I kind of want to impress you. And so maybe you ask me to do something after this podcast's over 
And I think, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I don't know if I should, that's my gifting, but I'll oh, it, but it's Willow and I really want to impress her. Switch up the scenario in your mind and say, if this was my very best friend, who's going to love me no matter what, who I've said to, no to a million times, and she's completely fine with it. She wants me to be honest and say, no, if I can't do it or it's not up my alley. If this were her asking me, what would my answer be? And if the answer to that person is different than my answer to Willow, well, then I know I'm doing it because there's some other motive. I'm not doing it because I feel called and capable. I'm doing it because I want Willow to like me. So kind of take the person out of the equation and put somebody else in that it would be easy to say no to and see what your answer is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I see a lot of women who are people pleasing and they don't even realize they're doing it, but then they get bitter at their service. Because if you break it down, the motivation was um, to try to create a closeness or a connection or whatever they were going for with the person they're trying to please. And then they didn't get back what they were hoping for that maybe they didn't even realize they're hoping for. And then they're bitter that they did all of that and didn't get what they wanted. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing when you go deeper to why we do what we do. Yeah. yeah and you're right. And not our heart here around it. Yeah. And you're right. Not only do we think I didn't get back what I thought I would, but then we look at what we lost. You know, for example, if you said yes to doing something on a weekend um, that was, you know, took you away from your child's, you know, tournament in T-ball or whatever, and mm -hmm. you didn't get what you thought you were going to get from that. And then you look and go, and I missed, I missed this other thing I probably should have been at. And we don't always think through the ramifications, you know, of every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. So make sure mm -hmm. we're saying the right yeses. Absolutely. I want to ask you about your book, uh, Settle My Soul, 100, quiet, 100 Quiet Moments for Moms to Meet with Jesus. I talk to a lot of moms, and I, I'm a mom, and it's easy to feel so busy and so pulled and never alone. I mean, I was just talking to women the other day in a bathroom line. We're all waiting to use this same bathroom, and we're chatting outside about how you know we've stopped even getting to the point of closing the door because the kids are always you know, trying to come in and talk to us while we're in the bathroom, like we're never alone. And so it feels like a lot of moms are like, I have no time to spend with Jesus. And I'm curious what you have told yourself when you feel that way. Like, you know, your soul longs to spend time with Jesus, but you feel too busy to do it. What do you tell yourself? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, I wrote two devotional books with my friend Ruth Schwenk. When you mentioned one, the one for moms though is actually called Pressing Pause. Subtle My Soul is just okay. for women in general. Um, but they both are devotionals um, that help you kind of carve out a little time in your day. And with the one for moms, Pressing Pause, I really feel like we wrote it to help women, number one, you know, make that appointment, just like any other appointment. If you make a, a dental appointment, you don't show up, at least at my dentist, I get charged $35. So I make sure that I, I'm there. So we need to kind of make an appointment with God, not thinking that it's got to be super early in the morning or it's got to be a certain length or anything, but just like put it on the calendar and and know that it's not going to be perfect. It might be that you're you're not all alone with 
your Bible and the sun shining through the window and a cup of steaming coffee, you know, snugged up against it all perfect and Pinterest like. Not that that's wrong to post pictures like that. I post pictures like that sometimes, but we get it in our mind that it's it's going to be perfect. We're going to be all alone. It's going to be long. And sometimes it's not like that. I remember when I was a young mom, do you know, Willow, where some of my best quiet times happened was at the local McDonald's while my kids jumped in the ball pit. I would take my Bible and my journal. I would get like a large chicken um, nuggets and a large fries and glasses of water because we didn't have a lot of money back then. It's funny because my kids thought that I couldn't buy them Happy Meals. I, I told them those were called grandma meals because only grandmas could buy them. Isn't that terrible? But I would just split the cheap food um, between the three kids. My oldest was about you know, 10, 11 years old, and she would watch the two boys in the ball pit. And I would sit there and have my time with God. And the kids were happy. Every once in a while, they might come up and ask me something or you know, need me to, to take them to the bathroom or whatever. But I learned to make a little haven right there in the middle of the busy restaurant because I knew for me in that season of life, it was never going to look like what I wanted it to. It was never going to be picture perfect. It was rarely going to happen first thing in the morning because the baby had been up in the night and I was tired. The alarm was going to go off at six o'clock. I'm like, no, I need to sleep till seven till the kids get up. I'm tired. So we need to cut ourselves some slack and realize it's not going to always be Pinterest picture perfect. And that something is better than nothing. Even if all we can manage is 10 minutes that day to, to pray and read through a passage of scripture and ask the Lord to help us to apply what we've read that day, that's, that's okay. I think we get into this mindset that we have to have an hour-long in-depth Bible study. Not that I'm against those. I love those. I, I write Bible studies. But we have to realize that, that God knows our heart. He knows we're trying. He knows we're busy. And it's more about your desire and um, your stick-to-itiveness than it is about making it long and perfect. So we've got to get those notions out of our heads. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because there's so much sort of like guilt and obligation around the whole, you know, quiet time, devotion time thing for Christian women. And, you know, you even mentioned it's like, oh, I have to have my hour of power. And you feel like you're <laughs> such a loser if you don't have it. But it's also interesting to me because as women, I think way more than men, we go through these seasons that change. You know, I'm about to come, become an empty nester. But when I look back to when I first had my first child, like I've been through so many different seasons, you know, there's, you know, when your kids enter school and when maybe you decide to return back to your work. I mean, we all have our own differing seasons, but the point is, is even you describing that mom season where you don't have a lot of time, it's also true that you feel that way with your friends and with your spouse. And I think, you know, God invites us to a relationship. And so all of our relationships during some seasons are feeling a little stretched thin because of what we have going on. And God knows that. And I, I think about Jesus where when he says, come and follow me, he's asking us to share the same road as him. He's with us along the way. And so I love that you're giving quiet moments for women that are kind of these bite-sized devotions that they can spend time with Jesus in. But also Jesus is with you in the car. Yeah. And he's with you in the bathroom and he's with you when you're cooking and he's with you when you take your kids to the park. And I'm always trying to encourage moms like you can experience God along the way. It's possible. And, yeah. And you can work 
into your day, connecting with God in other ways too, maybe not necessarily Bible study. For example, I uh, have these different, I call them prayer triggers, where during the day, there are certain activities I know I'm going to do over and over again every day. So I let that be a trigger to pray for somebody. For example, every morning, every night, when I brush my teeth, there's a family member that I pray for who is very far from God. It doesn't want anything to do with God. And I pray for that person every time I brush my teeth. When I'm folding my laundry, whatever person's... uh, Laundry I'm folding, I pray for that person in my family. When I drive, I live in a tiny little town outside the capital city. When I drive 20 minutes into the city, I have a situation that I pray about. When I drive home, there's another situation that I pray about. Or even working in scripture memory. There's verses that you're trying to to kind of write on your heart. Write them on sticky notes and three by five cards. Make them the screensaver on your phone, whatever. And when you have a little extra time, you're sitting in a waiting room, you're, um, you know, sitting on the sidelines of the baseball game and they're warming up and you're waiting for the game to start or, you know, you're brushing your teeth and you have that sticky note there on your bathroom mirror. Try to memorize those scriptures. There are ways to work in connecting with God throughout our day. It doesn't have to always look like, okay, I'm going to stop everything. I'm going to go to this comfy chair with all my Bible study tools. And this is how I connect with God. No, you know, we're supposed to be praying without ceasing. So all through the day, when something pops in your mind, you can be praying about it. You can be, you know, even having, um, I always have a book in my car. So if I'm ever, you know, I go to pick up one of my kids when they were still here, I just became an empty nester and, you know, they're running behind. Well, I've got a, a, maybe a book, a spiritual growth book that I'm, reading through that I can sit and read. We, it doesn't always have to be a big chunk of the day. It can be little bite-sized pieces throughout the day as well. Yeah, absolutely. You call yourself a gospel clinger. Tell us more. I just feel like I have to cling to Jesus because on my own, I'm a mess. I'm just a mess. I became a Christian when I was 16. I was from a home where my father was an alcoholic and he was abusive to my mother, my brother, and me. And I first heard about the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and that he took our punishment for our sins to pave our way to heaven. If we will only accept that gift of salvation. I first heard about it when I was 16 and living in that abusive situation. And I heard about a God who could be the father to the fatherless. And that's what I was. Now, fast forward to just 20 years ago, my dad actually turned his life around, uh, quit drinking, quit being abusive. And the last 20 years of his life, he was the most godly grandpa ever. My kids, you know, never knew the first man like he was when I was younger. But I learned as a teenager, I had to cling to Jesus. I had to cling to that gospel. And it's never, the need to do that has never gone away. It's just looked different in every stage of my life, but I know that left to my own ways, my own ideas of how life should be and what I should do and shouldn't do, I would make a mess of it. So I just, I just have to cling to Jesus. Mm. When you think about people listening right now, Karen, who are clinging to a bunch of other things because life is hard, but not clinging to Jesus. And they don't even necessarily um, know they're doing it or even know what clinging to Jesus could look like in a practical sense. What's your advice for them? 
Yeah, we try to self-soothe, self-medicate, and cling to a lot of things that we think are helpful. And they might even be partially good, but they're not the only way. They're counterfeit measures and they only help for so long and they only help for so little. But when we realize that Jesus needs to be our everything and we need to cling to him and we do that through getting to know him, through studying scripture, through praying, through interacting with other Christians and and hearing their stories of how they cling to Jesus, that is the only solution that works. All the other things are counterfeit temporary measures that don't last. Hmm. There's so many things that God has done through your life, Karen. I'm amazed as I um, stalked you and and looked at all that he's done through you. You've been at this ministry thing for years. And I'm curious, uh, and this is my last question for you, because I, I think it's just interesting. As you think about your legacy, what are you prioritizing so that you feel that at the end of it all, you've truly made your life count in all the ways that you wanted to? Well, I think first just carving out that time to connect with God. It, it sounds like a, just a real pat Christian answer that that makes the most difference in your day, but it, it really does. When I go through periods of time, which I do, where I neglect to read my Bible, I don't really care to pray. I just kind of do my own thing. I just feel this disconnect and I also feel like a lack of purpose that kind of creeps in to my life when I'm not staying tethered to God and his word and asking him what is it is that I'm supposed to do today? Who is it that I'm supposed to encourage when I get my eyes off of Jesus and others and I just kind of go and do my own thing or have my eyes on myself too much? I, I just feel this longing and this disconnected. I don't know how else, how else to describe it. But I know when I look back at the people who've passed on and that have left a legacy that seems to be something that, that lives beyond them because they taught a great life lesson or they were a really good example, those people were tethered to God and his word. And they had an outlook on life where they were always on the lookout for somebody to encourage and to help and to, you know, just make their life better. And I want to be one of those type of people. Well, I think you already are, Karen. Thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing about your story, about the ministry that God is doing through your life, about all your 18 books, about your love of post-it notes, (laughs) so many things. Uh, How can people follow you, get a hold of your books, check out the work that you're doing? Probably the easiest way is just to go to my website. It's kareneman.com and Eman is spelled E-H-M-A-N. And there on the homepage, you'll see all the places I am on social media, my blog, which I don't update that a ton, but I, I do blog still occasionally. And there's a lot of freebies on the website too, that you can download, you know, date night questions to get to know your husband again, or um, tips for quiet times with God, a lot of different free things that you can um, get there as well as some five day challenges, you know, five days to uh, hospitable heart, different things like that, that give you a little taste of some of my books without actually buying the books. I'd like to give away some stuff for free as well. So. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today, Karen. Well, thanks for having me, Willow. It was my pleasure. Hey, friend, I hope you enjoyed your time with Karen Eamon. I love that she wants to stay tethered to Jesus so that she can truly live a life that leaves a legacy impacting other people. And I think that's a great inspiration for you and I to check in with how tethered we are. And if we're centered, if we're remaining in Jesus so we can fully live the life that God has called us to live, a life of service, a life of love, a life that looks like Jesus. And so, friend, I don't know where you're at today, but my hope is that you are encouraged by listening to this podcast. If you want to discover all the resources that Collide has for you, you can hop on our website at wecollide.net and you can find a blog, books, journals, guides, online courses, and freebies, and so much more. So check it out. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.